You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. This business talk show airs live on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 4 p.m. and Thursdays at our special time of 3 p.m. All of our shows can be heard live exclusively here on Orange County's only community radio station, octalkradio.net. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, we encourage you to listen live during our broadcast times. The show is brought to you by our commercial sponsors, Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and Center Club. The goal for this show is to help you, our listening audience of CEOs of middle market companies, to make better and more informed business decisions. Our first guest today is Mark Nielsen. He is co-founder and executive chairman of TextPower Incorporated. Mark, welcome to the program. Thank you. Let's talk first a little bit about you. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your professional background? Sure. I've been in the wireless industry for uh, more years than I'd like to admit. I started when there were 2,000 cellular phones in all of the United States and one operational system in Chicago. Wow. And over the years, I've spent a number of years being CEO of various software companies, primarily serving the wireless industry, cellular carriers, paging carriers, providing switch interfaces, building systems, fraud control systems, etc. So you've seen the the maturation of an industry, didn't you? I mean, I mean, thinking back to when there was just a few thousand phones, that's a whole different world than what we see today. Absolutely. It has changed dramatically. For none of us, as, even as those of us in the industry, had some wild guesses of what was going to happen with the cellular right. industry. None of us came close to what actually happened. Yeah, and the, and the different business models that have tried and succeeded and tried and kind of got worn out and had to rethink the business model. There have been so many different business models, I think, in the cellular industry in its evolution as well. We've, we've gotten to see that as consumers kind of firsthand as well. A- absolutely. And the change that the technology has wrought where uh, you, you can't even remember what it was like not having a phone in your pocket. And yet, for those right. of us in the early days, the concept of being untethered with a telephone was something out of Dick Tracy. I remember uh, my first phone was more of a brick with a power supply that you plugged in and had a external antenna. Yes, the old transportable. Okay, yes. And you, you were paying by the minute, right? Oh, yeah. You were I mean, paying significant. And if you happened to go out of your home city, you then had roaming charges, which were <laughs> roaming charges. very high. <laughs> yeah. And now they'll give you unlimited calls and text, but they're going to charge you. They're going to meter your, your Internet usage, right? Your downloads. Exactly. That, that, they've changed that model. Okay. Let's talk about your firm, as I said on the open. The company is Text Power Incorporated. You're the co-founder and executive chairman. What is it that Text Power does? What makes it different, and why do clients choose to do business with Text Power? Well, Text Power is a company that actually my uh, partner and I, Scott Goldman, who also has been in the industry for 25 plus years, uh, we found a small company out of the Midwest, uh, identified a technology that had interest. Uh, I've been a tech host angel and investor in a number of companies for the last few years, working with uh, various startups, and we saw an opportunity to take the technology of text messaging and apply it in a different way. Most of the companies that have been focused in text messaging are really focused on mobile marketing, sending out coupons or text messages for bars, restaurants, etc. We found and thought that there was an opportunity to take this technology and to use it in the enterprise for mission-critical applications. So we had a different twist really? being able to apply the technology in a way that most folks hadn't thought of before. As an example, one of our primary industries we focus on is the utility industry. Utilities are not known for necessarily being leading edge with technology. Right. And yet with the advent of the smart grid, with the advent of the need for better conservation of the electrical energy, we have found that these utilities are ripe for being able to have immediate communication not only for things like outage alerts, being able to notify their customers when there's an outage. And by the way, if you have a, a email or a phone call, typically when your power goes out, you're not going to get an email, you're not going to get a phone call. Right. But you will get a text message because your cell phone is with you even when the power goes out. But also being able to utilize it for conservation, beat the peak alerts, notices to the community when there are certain things going to be happening in the right of way, contractors out in the field, construction, planned outages, etc., also being able to communicate with the field personnel. 
it's much safer to be able to send a text message to a guy up in a bucket truck working on electric lines than it is to have a two-way radio call or a cellular call because it's not safe for him necessarily to take that call. Makes sense. He can receive the text message, and when it's safe and his hands are free, he can get the message, he can respond back to the dispatcher. So it's much more effective also in inclement weather, loud noise outside. Text messaging is far more effective than it is to be using voice communication. That's interesting. You know, you you mentioned how others have used text for marketing, and just coincidentally last week we had one of those firms on our radio show, and we were really talking about how... I think it's a it's a B to C play many times. Yes. You know, using text messaging for marketing. It, it, there are some B to B applications, but it certainly feels more like it's more powerful in the B to C space. It's B to B in that you're selling to businesses, but then they're using it to communicate with their clients as well. Then, so there is a part of that where they're using it for a, a B to C messaging as well. But it's almost more not a revenue generator, but a customer service angle. It, it is, and it's both. It can be utilized for. Uh, enhanced revenue opportunities. It can be used for reducing operating costs as alternatives to sending emails where the open rate and with spam filters, I don't know about you, I get probably a couple hundred emails a day, and unfortunately you miss important emails because of just the influx of so much. And yet with text messaging, because there is no spam, you don't have the problem of being inundated with text messages. If you receive a text message, you know that it's something that's important, it's something that you are interested in that you opted in to receive. So that's why approximately 95% of all text messages are opened within three minutes. So uh, I need to ask you this question because we did spend time last week uh, with our guests talking about how uh, because of the very personal nature of the cell phone, um, how you have to really be careful what you send to that platform and you have to have principles and policies to allow people to opt in and easily opt out and you have to be very careful with that so on in your experience with text power and you're you're using it in a slightly different application do people also let's say who are clients of a utility company that uses your technology do they have to opt in to let that utility company tell them about alerts or is there a different way that they can reach them there are a couple of different ways many of the utilities will do an opt-in process because they have different programs also they need to associate the uh, user account number Uh, If they're doing things like prepaid accounts, being able to notify when the prepaid account is getting low, so that needs to be associated with an account. But technically, under the uh, rules and legislation and the FCC rulings, if they are sending purely informational texts as opposed to marketing texts, if it is an informational and emergency text, technically they don't need to have a separate opt-in. If they receive the cell phone number from the customer as part of their relationship, the business relationship, okay. then they can send a text So if they ask for it and I fill it out and they want to alert me of a status of an emergency, they are, they are, the government wants them to do that. I, right. Okay, and that's a different thing than marketing. Okay, I I get that. That makes, that makes sense to me. It seems to me that people's reaction to text messages are... Similar to what happened when the phone used to ring. We used to answer it. but And I don't want to sound like I'm a, a millennial basher, because I'm not. I love the millennials. But I know my direct experience with my children. If I really want to reach them, I text them. They, I can call them, and it'll go to voicemail. And if I text them, they respond. Exactly. The interesting thing, though, when you look at the demographics, we all know that if you want to communicate with a teenager, you need to text them. They don't answer the phone. They don't respond to email. And maybe in part because of that, if you look at the demographics, even the 50 to 65-year-old demographic, almost 75% of that demographic uses text messaging on a regular wow. basis. Really? And even the over 65-year-old crowd, it's uh, upwards of 40% plus that use it on a regular basis. Wow, we have come a long way. Absolutely. These smartphones really are. They're smart enough to be easy to use now. That's a and, nice feature. And one of the nice things about the text messaging is you can have a dumb phone, a feature phone. You don't have to have a smartphone, <laughs> and still text works. <laughs> That's true. All right. Well, we're talking with Mark Nielsen. He is co-founder and executive chairman of Text Power Incorporated on Critical Mass Radio Show. We're going to take our first commercial timeout. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation, so stay tuned for that conversation after these words from our sponsor. Can we talk about your family business? You know, that thing you put your whole life's blood, sweat, and tears into? Well, what happens when you retire or try and pass that business on to your children? At Succession Strategies, we can help you find the answers. We'll guide you through the unsettling process of protecting your family legacy and successfully passing your business on to the next generation, safely and securely ensuring that it'll both survive and thrive for generations to come. 
So ask yourself just one question. Can I really afford to wait? Take the first step. Take our complimentary self-assessment at SuccessionStrategies.com or call us at 714-560-9022 to set up a free consultation at your convenience. That's Succession-Strategies.com. Commercial Bank of California, or CBC, is a well-funded, full-service bank located in the heart of Orange County. When it comes to safety and stability, CBC has one of the highest levels of capital of any commercial bank ranked in the top 6% in the nation. Commercial Bank of California was founded in 2003 by a group of Orange County's finest entrepreneurs. To this day, our bank is governed by our founders, including General William Lyon of William Lyon Homes, Alex Morello of the Morello Group, and Frank Willey of Fidelity National Financial, to name a few. In short, we're a bank founded, built, and run by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs. Not every business in Orange County should be our customer. However, if your business is looking for a bank that can assist in finance, production, analytics, and risk management, there's no better bank to choose. To understand the true power of how Commercial Bank of California can help you achieve your goals, give us a call at 714-431-7000 or visit us on the web at www.combancal.com. Member FDIC. Richard Franzi is the author of two popular business books for CEOs. His first book, Critical Mass, The Ten Explosive Powers of CEO Peer Groups, was the first book ever written on the secret value of CEO peer groups. His second book, now with newly updated information, is Critical Mass, The Power of CEO Guiding Principles. Richard's books contain powerful information to help CEOs running middle market companies gain valuable insight to improve their decision-making skills. Richard's books are available as paperbacks or Kindle versions from Amazon.com. To find them, type Richard Franzi in the search box. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. And at the end of the day, the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. So United Way is asking you to make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Be a reader. Tutor or mentor. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge now at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I'm your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 10,000 shows during the last 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live here on Internet Radio Station OCTalkRadio.net, broadcasting from their state-of-the-art studios in the Tech Space facility in Costa Mesa, California, or they can be rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. All right, let's return to our interview with Mark Nielsen. He is co-founder and executive chairman of Text Power Incorporated. Maybe you can put a finer point, Mark, for our audience on how companies use text messaging solutions to reduce costs and improve their marketing strategies. Sure. Uh, a couple of examples uh, could be within the utility industry that we were talking about before. Uh, when you have a situation, whether it's an outage or you have phone calls coming into a call center, the cost to handle a phone call with a live operator is dollars per phone call. Very expensive. As compared to a text message where they can text in and it's literally a few pennies to handle the same type of information. Why is that? Because the cost of having a live person deal with it, the cost of personnel, is so high. Okay. And when you have the communication via voice, typically there's a lot more that occurs. It's not very succinct. It's inefficient. It's very inefficient. Okay. With a text message, you have basically 144 characters in which you're going to communicate. <laughs> it's very effective. Wow. And it's also extremely cheap compared to. So the value 
of the text message is tremendous because not only is the cost so much lower, but the efficacy of it is so much greater than voice communications because if you're making a phone call to someone, the odds of you reaching them, them answering the phone and being able to talk is very low. Right. With a text message, it doesn't matter. You and I can be here having this conversation. I can be receiving text messages. I'll receive them and I'll be able to respond to them later. If I'm in a play with my kids watching a play, if I'm at a sporting event, I can receive text messages. I can respond to them. It's very inobtrusive as compared to with a voice call. It's going to go to voicemail, and I'll get around to it sometime later. I can't deal with it when I'm in a meeting. Right. So it's far more effective. You also have the immediacy of text messaging. So, for example, if you are, let's take a a marketing situation for a large retailer. If you have a, a special deal, a special discount, you're trying to drive traffic, typically a particular time of day, may be very low, and if you can get people to come in during that specific time, within an hour, you can't, if you send out emails, get people to come in. There's no immediacy to that communication. It may be hours or days before they look at the message. With a text message, you can get it to them immediately and have a response immediately so that the communication and the response rate is much more effective for that immediate communication and gives you far more flexibility than what you would otherwise have. So that is another example. Uh, so the example. medium is the message then, really. The uh, fact that you're using text over other choices creates a different experience with your clients and with your prospects. Absolutely. One of our examples is the state of New Jersey, New Jersey judiciary, the courts. They are using our system and platform to communicate with jurors. So instead of people having to call up at 5 o'clock or wait around to see if they have to have jury service, the state courts wow. in New Jersey are sending them text messages telling them if they have to appear for jury service. Oh. Far more effective, far more efficient, and far less costly for the state. I love how institutions use technology. You know, it just, if you build a platform, it's amazing how people can use it to improve the relationship that they have. I just wonder, from your experience with your time in the cellular industry, are the dynamics of text messaging today, all the good things, are they permanent or could they, too, go the way of, you know, I don't answer my call now because I don't check my email because I get spammed? Is there a risk that text messaging comes yet another tool that becomes overused and then people aren't as in tune with it as they are today? I, I think there's probably less of a chance of it being overused and falling out of favor as it is that there are new technologies that will continue mm-hmm. to grow so that texting will morph into new things. The only thing constant, as we've seen in the telecommunications business, is change. Right. And that change will continue. So one of the things that we need to be looking at is how do we use this technology and how do we anticipate new uses and new ways of utilizing it that are going to keep it fresh as opposed to doing it the way it was done yesterday. Well, that's a scary thought that people can invent, technology can invent even different ways of being communicated with that are more powerful than what we currently have. But I'm sure there, I'm sure if somebody said 20, 30 years ago text messaging would be what it is, it, it might be hard to fathom. Um, we have a few minutes left here on the program. I'm t- speaking with Mark Nielsen, five minutes to be exact. Can you discuss your philosophy, and I'm going to paraphrase it here, at mm-hmm. least try to do it justice. We believe that there is a significant role to be played in the connectivity between people and machines that provides updates, alerts, information, and more via messages sent directly to a user's phone triggered by an event or threshold being reached. Can you share that a little bit about your philosophy in that way? Sure. I mean, basically what we're saying is that anything that has the need for immediacy, immediate communication, if there's something that triggers that is going to be an event, if there's going to be something that uh, someone needs to take action on, respond to, the immediacy of text messaging is so far superior to other forms of communications, emails, voice calls, IVR calls, etc., that this allows you to have more flexibility, and really the only limit is the imagination of how it can be used. As an example, one of our newest products that we're just introducing in this month is a multi-factor authentication product using text messaging. So, for example, if you go and typically many people will access their bank accounts or access uh, various private information with just a user ID and password online. We're able to provide a multi-factor authentication where when you enter your user ID password, the system will come back to you giving you a one-time password that you must text to us. And then we validate, is it the right password and is it coming from the mobile phone that physically is associated with that user ID password to make sure it's actually you and that not someone who has stolen your user ID password. If it is, we give a thumbs up to the program to let you in. 
If it's not, and someone has stolen your user ID password and is now texting from a different phone, we deny that, and we've now captured the phone number of who it is that's trying to improperly access the system. Oh, that is a better, that is more secure. I like that. See? Techno- you technologists, you're always, I love having technology companies on because the rate of change of innovation in the technology industry is such at such a rapid pace, and there's so much money going into it that every six months it feels like you guys are, you always have to be looking, am I relevant in the market? Absolutely, and one of the beauties, like with the text key product for the multi-factor authentication, is it replaces the tokens that everybody forgets to take with them, because <laughs> who, do you do you forget a token? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Do, you, do you forget your cell phone? Absolutely not. No. You never forget your cell right. phone. So being able token. to use that technology in a much more effective way, and a much more inexpensive way than the tokens. You don't have the inventory, and we're basically built it for any small business, medium-sized business. It's not just the big guys who now have this multi-factor authentication. That's the other thing I like about technology. It's bringing more and more robustness to small and middle market companies that heretofore they couldn't afford to invest in. And that's fantastic. You know, you've learned a lot in your business experience. You're an angel investor. You have a lot of knowledge based on your experience. And I wonder if you have a guiding principle, Mark, that you could share with us, kind of your overarching philosophy as, as you're leading and growing text power and other ventures that you're involved in. Well, certainly in terms of business, one of the most important guiding principles I've always used in business is to do your best and to make sure that your intention, uh, you act as if your intention is visible. Does that mean be transparent? It means not only be transparent, but if your intentions are good, you, you you have to act as if that, in whatever your intention, whatever you're thinking your intention is, uh-huh. if that was visible to your customer and you're doing your best, then you've got nothing to worry about. Right. Um, well, that's interesting. I, uh, I've been asking this question for years and written two books with the answers of it, and you've given me something that we haven't heard before, and that's kind of interesting. Thank you for doing that. My pleasure. Appreciate it. If someone would like to learn more about text power how do they find you online? A couple of ways they can reach us, www.textpower.com. They can also send a text message to 85700 and just send the word Mark, M-A-R-K. Okay. So uh, how did the name come about? text power was that with the organization i mean just how was the history of the, the name? it really was a, a combination of the looking at the power of texting and it was the interesting thing folks think because we have a large number of utilities as our customers mm. the text power the power came from the utilities right the name came before we had any utilities as our customer it was the power of texting and that really was the genesis of the name when we looked at how powerful texting could be in the enterprise and how that technology could be used in ways that folks weren't thinking of using it and then it just was fortuitous that we had text powers the name when suddenly the utility industry became one of our main vertical markets wow what a great market to have too and i can think of large construction companies i can think of many companies that could benefit from using a product like text power absolutely universities businesses anyone who has multiple folks whether it's customers employees internal folks or external that they need to communicate with on a more immediate basis uh, it is an opportunity and really, as I said, is limited only by your imagination. I, I remember back uh, in the day when Sprint, we had about a minute left, when Sprint had the ability to just kind of walkie-talkie, I forget what they called it, but, you know, you could like... Yes, the push to talk. Push to talk, mm-hmm. right? And I was so envious of that because I was running a sales force at that time, and I thought, how great would that be? I'd like to make a, hey, you know, what are you doing out there? And give me an immediate feedback. And we didn't use Sprint as our carrier, so I didn't have that technology. But it sounds like many of that immediacy is all embedded in text in text messaging at a lot less offensive, you know, people getting buzzed in. You couldn't do that when somebody's in a meeting or something, but yeah. you can certainly text them. Absolutely. And you have the ability, if someone's in a, a conference, you can be sending messages, updates, immediate. You can get them to come out of the room. You can be communicating where it's uh, shown on screen. Yeah. Uh, so does the NSA get a chance to see our text messages? Just kidding. I don't want you to ask that, Mark. And I was just kidding, NSA. Don't listen to our radio show. This is Rick Franzi with... Uh, Critical Mass Radio Show. I want to thank Mark Nielsen. of co- He's the co-founder and executive chairman of Text Power Incorporated. Thanks for being our guest and welcome to our community. Thank you. It's our pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. Bruce Conklin, founder and managing partner of the Fidelis Group, will be our second guest. He will be on after a few words from our commercial sponsor, so stay tuned. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. 
with 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers. For over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. If you are an Orange County CEO or a business owner, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have had these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions through the power of peer learning. These are groups of peers who are running businesses just like you. CEO Peer Groups provides a great sounding board to test fresh ideas and new concepts, review your strategic plans and tactical goals, and present issues and opportunities for a critical discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, and improved business results. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn about our CEO peer groups. CEO peer groups is a registered trademark of Critical Mass for Business. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on our radio show may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of our show. Last month, we delivered over 30,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions. If you'd like to learn more, then contact our advertising department at 949 949- 887-4104-949-887-4104. All of our shows can be found on our website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Okay, as promised, our second guest is here in the studio. Bruce Conklin is the founder and managing partner at the Fidelis Group. Bruce, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Rich. Nice to have you here. Let's talk first about you. Give our audience a sense for your background, kind of your professional experience. Well, really, over the last 21-plus years, I've been in the crisis business. And what that means is you get, you're you usually introduced through bank groups, through their special assets or bankruptcy attorneys, and they're usually companies that are struggling. And they've got a limited runway. And, of course, the first job is to make that runway longer so you right. have more options. Right. And so that's what I've been doing for more than 20 years now. How did you get involved in that area of business? You know, it's funny. Uh, I was in the real estate business from 75 to 90. And when the SNLs all got shut down, the real estate business kind of went away. And I was looking for things to do. And I was introduced to this group out of LA and just started working with them, loved the work and just kept doing it. That's hard work. It is. Doing a turnaround. Is it a turnaround then? Turnaround. Okay. That That's, I mean, the everybody's on edge nerves are raw i mean you're not always welcome in the company i mean here i am telling you you know better than i do right i mean that it's a heavy responsibility initially not welcome the fact that you save jobs oh yeah you become very welcome right but you got to make some hard decisions i think yes it's really the the owner has to make the decisions i mean we're making the but but he has limited decisions usually and that's why really fidelis got formed to focus more on the mid-market group, that's the ten to hundred million dollar sale okay. company. Okay. So a little less expensive, more affordable, and trying to get in a little earlier when the company's just beginning to wobble. 
Right. Not so late that, gee, we can't make payroll in two weeks. Right. I mean, that's so much time is your friend in that situation and become and quickly can become the enemy of the business owner if they wait too long. Correct. I mean, you just need time to do a workout and a turnaround and just these things. T- you cannot just, you know, snap your fingers. And it's my bias. And tell me if, if it's incorrect because you are the expert. I am not. I'm just an interested observer that many times the business owners know what they need to do at some level, but for many times, for some reason, they haven't acted as boldly as, as or responsibly maybe as they should have. Am I putting words? No, you're correct. Okay. It's, it's, you know, it's really difficult. I call them benevolent dictatorships. Uh-huh. I mean, the type of guy or gal that starts a company, they either have an incredibly great idea or maybe they're just a little stubborn and they want their way and they really don't want to work for someone. And, you know, you take a guy in his 50s or 60s, he's been through two or three recessions and he's gotten through them. And so they tend to be a little stubborn and they, you know, the problem with cutting people and, and right-sizing a company, they work so hard to get it to a certain level. Yes. It's so hard yes. to give it up. You know, it's it, you feel like you're taking... 200 steps backwards. It's really, really hard on these guys. And they and have an emotional connection to their people. Hugely. Uh, almost to their own detriment. Almost. It, it, it's hard for sometimes people who, who don't work with middle market companies that really appreciate the close relationship that the owners and CEOs have with their people. It's not like corporate America, right. where I've worked for a long time, where there's a lot, there's a distance there on purpose and they maintain that. You get very tightly integrated with your people and having to make those, and many times in a turnaround, you've got to look at where the biggest money's going. And the cash, and the cash is a lot of times going into the people's, your employees' pockets, right? I mean, you're, that's you're paying where, your payroll. That's where it's all going because you have to kind of reduce that fixed cost to create a more scalable model so right. you can create value. And that's one of the advantages, quite frankly, of a smaller business owner bringing in someone like myself because there's someone to blame. There's someone to turn to say, gosh, we have to do that. Bruce said so. Right. And so it, it helps a little bit because it is a personal thing. I remember, um, I don't know how the Great Recession was for your business. I think that it might have been good because businesses were struggling, but I might be wrong there. But I I remember hearing business owners saying, geez, I'm back doing what I was doing in this business five, ten, eight years ago. You know what I mean? Uh, To your point, I had to downsize, and now I'm back doing things that I thought I'd never have to do again. And that wasn't always a good thing, right? I mean, they kind of begrudgingly went back because they couldn't afford to pay the people to do the jobs that they didn't want to do. Exactly. But they have to. They do. To survive. Well, this recession has been interesting, Richard, and and you probably a lot of the business uh, owners listening on on your podcast, uh, the banking industry as a whole became less stringent, obviously, to continue to support the the, uh, economy. And so special asset departments of banks shrank. Those were all created in the early 90s when we went through that last great recession. They actually shrunk, which you'd think they would have increased. But the phenomenon of low interest rates, a lot of these companies have been able to kind of limp along. But they've severely lost value. And I know the corporate America is really struggling. So what I did was I brought on two operational partners, hmm. one that's a very experienced uh, guy from uh, that was with Beckman Coulter for over 30 years and an expert at sales and marketing. Because really, it starts with a great plan. And how are you going to uniquely identify yourself? How are you going to brand your product? And then teaching your sales guys how to sell solutions and really become part of that customer as opposed to just selling a good. Mm -hmm. And if you can start that, then because everybody's competing. So whoever's left in the marketplace now is competing head-to-head with each other. So margins are squeezed. It's just very, very tough. And so you really have to start without a great plan mm-hmm. and then start building value. We try to create the plan on a set of action items. So actually working with the management team, working with the owner to create a set of action items where you're actually going to do something different, kind of under the Einstein theory that doing the same thing over and over again is insanity. Right. But it's amazing how undisciplined sometimes you get where you just don't identify those things you'll put a budget together it's just a string of numbers saying oh gosh we're going to hit 22 million this year and 
controller puts some costs on a piece of paper, and that's your plan. But it's really not tied to metrics. It's really not tied to action items and really holding people accountable. And you really have to be disciplined. No different than running a football team. You think about those great Super Bowl teams. They were just simply disciplined. Everybody knew what they were doing. They challenged each other. They knew at the beginning of the season they wanted to be somewhere at the end of the season. And you got to do the same thing with a business to finally inch and claw back and really create value. So are there any special industries that Fidelis Group uh, focuses on? How do you approach the market that way? Well, being with a what I would say a mid-market regional turnaround firm in the last 21 years, I've hit just about every industry from aerospace to manufacturing, distribution, retail, services, financial. And so I wouldn't say we're exactly focused on any one industry. And I think that is an advantage because, quite frankly, the best uh, turnarounds and plans and coaching you can do in a company is you can't be afraid to ask that dumb question because in the dumb questions is where the nuggets come out. A person that's in the industry knows that, oh, we don't do that or we don't do that. Well, how do you know you shouldn't do that? Because really the true brilliance comes when you kind of break out of the mold and you do something against the grain i believe in the power of peer learning and that's what you know Mm -hmm. just somebody else in some other industries is doing something and if you can adopt it into your industry first all of a sudden you're like a genius because you differentiated (laughs) the marketplace right you've created differentiation um it sounds like companies would benefit from having the fidelis group come in because the next step after you if they don't fix the problem is a more is a different type of workout if there is even that option, which may be replace the guy or lady who's running it because we've run out of patience with you, or it's an asset sale of something, right? Correct. So, so really, the owners of middle market companies are wise to bring you in early to avoid and avert the really nasty stuff that might happen at the end if they don't fix the downward trend of their business. Well, or at least treat us as maybe just an advisor. You don't really have to come in and camp out there, but certainly here's the CEO. It's really lone at the top. It is. Because really they have to show the good front and they have to drive the troops and they're usually limited. It's not like, you know, a $500 million company that's got a MBA, PhD, CFO, and something like that. I mean, these are hardworking people that have worked up in the business, and sometimes it's just good to have a conversation. So that's really how we start our consulting experience, Okay, is we'll sit down, and if it's more of a sales-driven thing, Steve and I will come out, and we can spend two or three or four hours just sitting down and having a conversation. Usually out of those conversations, at least two or three ahas right. occur. And then hopefully there's something that we can work with them on. Mm. Interesting. All right. Well, we're talking with Bruce Conklin. He is founder and managing partner of the Fidelis Group. We're going to take our next and final commercial break here on Critical Mass Radio Show. And when we come back, uh, be thinking about this, Bruce. I'm going to ask of all the things that you've learned in business, have you developed a guiding principle that you use to lead and grow the firm? So we're going to hear Bruce Conklin's guiding principle and answers to a few more questions when we return to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. There's something uniquely positive about the word up. When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. So when you want to move up, what do you do? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else. And that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News & World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs. And it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News and World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at brandman.edu. That's brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, 
presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. We'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 10,000 shows during the last 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your continued support. All of our shows can be heard live here on Internet Radio Station, octalkradio.net, or rebroadcast anytime from iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. Bruce Conklin, you are our guest, and he is the founder and managing partner of the Fidelis Group. Before the break, Bruce, I was going to ask if you could share your guiding principle with our audience. Well, our guiding principle is to help drive value, because at the end of the day, whether the company's struggling or whether the company is going out and trying to raise some more capital, perhaps uh, replace their senior lender, or even sell the company, you really want to maximize that value. So what... What is the uniqueness of that company? What is the uniqueness of the product or services they're presenting in order to drive those multiples? And then, of course, can you create a efficient path to profitability? So you could be running at a certain EBITDA run rate, mm-hmm. as all CEOs understand, but with a series of action items, you can convince that investor to give you some credit towards a positive path to more profitability. So it might be eliminating a shift. It might be adding a product. It could be a number of things to create more value. So you really have multiple and you really have EBITDA. Mm-hmm. And that's the enterprise value. And so many middle market businesses that represent such a huge part of the owner's personal, professional, their wealth, Right. My experience is many times middle market business owners overinvest in themselves. In other words, they take the money and they keep putting it back in the business versus maybe diversifying their investment portfolio. So so it really clouds their thinking. It must, Bruce, when the business becomes under pressure and the value of their most precious asset is just lower and lower and lower. I mean, that's that creates another place for you must also be a little bit of a psychiatrist or psychologist Correct. trying to help them deal with the reality of this is the way it is. Correct. You know, the the problem with the business owner is it's different than investing in stocks and bonds. It's even different than owning your home because there's always the house down the street that just sold. So you sort of know what the value is. <laughs> right. I think the way the, you know, the business owner, he's independent. He got out there. He had his great idea. He worked his tail off, probably took time away from his family. And then it gets to a point where he's actually making a lot of income. And he wants to spend a little more time with his kids. He wants to do these other things. And as long as he's pulling out of the company what he needs, he really doesn't focus on value. It's not like a public company with a board saying, Mr. CEO, what do you mean you're not hitting your numbers? There's no one really there to discipline and drive them. So I think they really lose concept of what the value is. Mm -hmm. I think most mid-market companies actually become lifestyle companies okay it really ends up that way because if you're 50 years old and you busted your tail why can't you take that golf trip why can't you go to cabo fishing with your buddies why can't you now your kid's 15 why can't you take that so he's not quite putting that effort in anymore the problem is the people he's brought up in the business they're not really professionally trained maybe they haven't been you know trained up Mm-hmm. So who's really pushing and running the show when he's gone? Right. And I've observed that the di- the gap between the skill level of the owner and the management team 
in a middle market company is, is many times greater than I would expect or at least that I'm comfortable with. Hugely. Because so much of the burden then defaults back up to the Always. owner. And, Always. And if they can find key executives who are a generation later than them who have that whatever they had when they were 30 to carry that. Because sometimes, in my mind, the best exit strategy is not selling the business but transferring some of the business to the next generation, If even if it's not a family business, but continuing to use that as a business that funds your lifestyle, only you don't have to work as hard. Correct. And well, then you, you give everybody the next generation of business that they can grow. Well, you could form an ESOP, for ESOP, instance. Right. Now, the ESOP has to be valued every year, so now you do have a barometer. Okay. Are we gaining or are we losing because there's an appraisal done on the business? Right. So... You know, part of what I would do with an, a business owner is ultimately there's going to be an exit strategy or there's going to be a recapitalization strategy because he wants to bring in some sub debt to buy a competitor, to buy another line. Because quite frankly, like Satchel Page said, you know, don't look back. Someone's gaining on you. Right. And the problem is if you have a successful company and let's say you've built it up to 30 or 40 million sales and you're making money, someone else knows that. And don't even bother looking. If you don't continue to innovate, if you don't continue to do things differently, you're going to lose value at some time. Forget about going into a crisis, but why lose the value? Right. You know, um, I'm working on my third book, and it's about companies that grow their revenue while maintaining or improving their profitability as a percentage of that revenue. Because in my experience, that's sort of the holy grail of growth for middle market companies versus growing your revenue and reducing your profitability. Because sometimes we say, oh, that's just I'm investing in in front of the revenue, and I'll get that back in two years. But unfortunately, many times you don't get it back. You just diluted the value of the business, right? Correct. Um, so you must see businesses that are not only shrinking their revenue, but shrinking their profitability as a percentage of that revenue. Absolutely. Too, right? And that is a... That's well, a, costs have been going up, and they can't raise prices. No one's really been able to raise prices, but right. they know costs are going up. We we know that. I right. mean, in, fly, in spite of the inflation, and quite frankly, the economy's growing been growing. What at one and a half to two percent a year? That's not exactly exciting. Right, it's not. Demand is a you know demand can cure a lot of bad decisions. If you're yes. in an industry that there's more demand and everybody's growing and you feel good, even if everybody's growing twice as fast as you, if you're still growing and you don't know they're growing faster, hey, everybody can be happy. But in a time like we've experienced since the Great Recession of diminished demand, you really have to be careful where you place really? your bets. And to, back to our earlier point, when your revenue is declining and your profit as a percentage is declining, the, really the only thing you can do is attack your fixed costs. Correct. And that is huge. You've got to attack the fixed costs. And that's what we do. I have a thing called current state, future state. So we would help the CEO map that out. And that's part of where you get the path to profitability. It's absolutely a stunning exercise you go through. And it's very, very eye-opening. I'd love to do it with most CEOs. I could just show it to them. Okay. And they would get it. So it's like a step-to-step program? Step-to-step process of how you do it and it's so visual and so easy to understand and you can actually have action items and then then you got to create the metrics and then right. you follow the metrics As a matter of fact if you have dashboards and you have metrics and you build your budgets from the metrics as opposed to just a financial statement <laughs> pushed out for the bank you you know week you to the, week. You said the key thing for the bank. Many times they don't even do it for themselves. They, they just do because they have to it's, qualify for their loan. It's or always whatever. for the bank. Yeah. But you know, if you're monitoring your <laughs> metrics, you know exactly where you're going to hit. Right. All the time. Right. And the and the more you sample the metrics, the interval, the tighter the interval is, the sooner you know you're in trouble. Absolutely. And you can make adjustments. And you can make adjustments. And you can't hide from it. Right? If you it. have these macro big numbers, oh, well, we'll wait till the end of the quarter or we'll wait till the end of the year. Well, the many times the decisions that you would have made that could have fixed it, you can't make anymore. What I find, too, is the bank, uh, the, the companies that struggle, they get in trouble on the balance sheet side. Mm. So here's a scenario. Yeah, give me an example. You're growing quick. Let's say you're growing at 5 8% a year. You have a little window there where you're growing like crazy. What is the purchasing guy doing the only way that guy gets yelled at is if you can't get a shipment out Friday because you've run out of material, right? So what does he do? He takes the sales projections, which are probably already inflated, and he adds 10% and he just buys stuff. And then 
he makes the other fatal error is he'll buy stuff in bulk because a full container load, oh gosh, I'm saving five cents. So all of a sudden, it looks like a garage in a subdivision, right? There's no cars in the garage. There's just a lot of stuff. Right. And so you end up with a huge amount of inventory. Now, if you have an asset-based loan, you're only borrowing at 50%. That means you've got 50% cash tied up in all this inventory. Right. And that's huge. And so, and then how do you unload that? Because now the sales are not quite hitting what you thought. And so it really is the balance sheet that gets them in trouble. Growing profitably is is really important. And growing and having the cash to feed the growth is really tricky. Very tricky. I, I, I get a little nervous, middle market CEOs who use the phrase grow or die. Because I think that's that's almost fool's gold. I mean, I get that you want to be bigger, but you really better think about that because there can be some really bad things that can happen in your business if your growth is uncontrolled, unplanned, or it's not good growth. The price quality or whatever of the new revenue doesn't support the business model that you have. One of the great myths, every sale's a good sale. Yes. Yeah. Oh, we'll make it up later in volume. And no, no, don't do that to yourself. Well, one of the things it's difficult for a smaller company to do is really have metrics like customer profitability. Uh-huh. No one really looks. What you look at is you look at that run at the end of the year or at the end of a month or at the end of a week, and it shows shipments, and it shows theoretical margin that some accountant has figured out and say, oh, gosh, we're making a lot. Well, they're forgetting that they've got to make two extra stops for that customer, or sales has promised them just-in-time inventory, so they can call on Wednesday, deliver on Thursday, which means that your plant has to have an extra 10 people standing around because of that peak load on Wednesday and Thursday. So it's very, very important that you manage these customer relationships. And most small companies, quite frankly, are very sales-driven. Yes. And sales guys always want it faster, better, cheaper. It feels like the answer to the question is more sales. More sales. Regardless of what the question is going to end up being, we can solve that with more sales. And many times, I think, as I said, it's fool's gold. Well, Bruce, this time has flown by. My it engine, has. My engineers told me we're unfortunately out of time today here on Critical Mass Radio Show. It's been fascinating. I'll have Crystal talk to you about coming back maybe later in 2014, and we'll pick up on kind of what we talked to. about. Okay. Absolutely love to. Bruce Conklin, thank you for being a friend of the program. Welcome to the Critical Mass community. Thank you. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I certainly hope you've gotten some good ideas from both of our guests today and things that you can use to make your business make better decisions, improve your decision-making. Uh, the 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 sponsors of this show really make the show happen, so I want to thank Brandman University, Commercial Bank of California, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, our longest sponsor, Succession Strategies, our second longest sponsor, and our newest sponsor, Center Club of Costa Mesa. Our engineer for today's show is Paul Roberts. Our producer is Crystal Nunley. Our guest coordinator is Kathleen Shepard. Our social media manager... Asia Celestina, and I'm your host, Rick Franzi. If you'd like to learn more about Critical Mass for business or refer future guests or possibly advertise, visit our website, criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Until the next show, I hope all of your decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 